0: appreciate the opportunity. It's always uh, an honor uh, to be asked to share some thoughts, share some good medicine. Show me. I've already had my initial punchline taken away from me. So I'll just tell you what the expectation is for my lesson. We are commanded to love one another. How do we communicate and show it in a practical sense? Include individual to individual and congregation to individual ways. I'd like to uh, center my focus and hopefully your focus on three ways we go about doing this. And I'll kind of weave in and out of these things, uh, but we're going to start talking about learning to love. Learning to love one another, learning to love my brother. We could subtitle this section of the lesson, Well, some of us are easy to love. And we know who we are. (laughs) We really do need to learn how to love. Period. This is a broken existence. We are broken. Every last one of us are broken. And if we depend on our broken experience to teach us... How we're we to do things right, in the end, we will be sorely disappointed for so many reasons. A painful life here, and even more painful life or existence in the hereafter. To do it right, to learn how to love your brother, you must listen to your Maker. If I'd like to turn initially to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is so good for so many reasons and in so many ways in regards to teaching us how to love. This is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And I want to look at verse, beginning in verse 12. When He had finished washing their feet, He put on His clothes and returned to His place. Do you understand what I have done to you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Continuing in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are My disciples, if you love one another. Now, I don't think we understand fully what Jesus is saying here. Let's look at the twelve. You've got Peter, who was blustery somewhat of a bumpkin in some people's uh, view. You've got James and John who are also blustery. They seemingly were businessmen. John, uh, amidst the passion of the Christ, he seemed to be politically connected because he was able to get into the temple court. So we have the politically motivated in the congregation. We have Nathaniel or Bartholomew We have Thomas. They're cynical. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Many of them were Galilean fishermen. Some of them we really don't know about. But two that I'd really like to look at and for us to consider, we have Matthew. What was Matthew's profession? Was he looked highly upon pawn in Jewish society and the culture. No, in fact, it was publicans were equated with being sinners. It, it, it was one and the same, more or less, in, in many circles. They were seen as Roman pawns, traitors to the Jewish people, preying upon the Jewish people and draining them. Simon the Zealot. What's a zealot? for illustrative purposes, a zealot would be a terrorist. He was part of a political action committee, so to speak, that they didn't think twice about violence in a general sense, if they had explosives blowing up marketplaces or assassinating individuals just to send a message. Individuals perhaps like a tax collector... Maybe, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon, meet Matthew. Matthew, Simon. And evidently, Jesus saw something in them enough to make them each one of the twelve. Is it so hard to love our brother? And you know the kind that I'm talking about. I am that kind sometimes, I'm sure. Dan's not. the kind that we have difficulties with, that we just don't ever really seem to have a coming together with, Principled love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Principled love is an action which motivates to expression. It is an action. It is a choice. It is a decision that you make to love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son And we're told in Genesis 22 and 16 that he swore by himself, and we're told why in Hebrews chapter 6 why he did that. But why did God love the world? Why did God so love the world? Why did he do this? Because he was feeling warmly toward the world? We know that's not the case because we're told in a couple places, James chapter 4, and then again in 1 John chapter 2, that friendship with the world is enmity. It makes you an enemy of God. Was it because he was having a particularly good day when this was written? He did it because the maker of the universe had purposed in himself. He could swear by no higher. God purposed. That love is an action which motivates to an expression of that thing. It's doing the right thing because it is the right thing to do. And he couldn't demonstrate that any more concretely than sacrificing himself on a cross for you and for me. Are you bearing your cross for Jesus daily? Love your brother. John chapter 21. Jesus has resurrected after being forsaken, after being denied, after being run out on. Jesus loved Peter, and he wanted Peter to love him. And he really could have let Peter have it, couldn't he? I mean, he had a right. Peter, you owe me. Peter, you remember how badly you treated me? You you remember how you said you would die for me? And I let you know how far your love would go. And then you denied me as I told you you would. See, love makes requests, not demands. Love requests. Love draws. It's not hard hitting. As important to Jesus as Peter loving Him was that Peter would love his brethren. Peter, if you love me, what? Feed my sheep. He could have said, Peter, if you love me, love your brothers. You see, love is an action which motivates to its expression. Peter, if you love me, you'll care for your brothers. You'll tend to their needs. You will put yourself below and you will become a servant to all. my second bullet point At bullet points is reading your brother, and we all have different temperaments. We have different proclivities. We have different preferences. We're just wired and built differently. And if you haven't, I would encourage anyone that, particularly if you're looking to get married, do your spouse a favor. And look into a book entitled The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Some of you are nodding. Some of you have already looked into it. It's a fabulous, fabulous piece of work. He didn't make any of this stuff up. He just made observations of truths that God has established from the beginning. But people generally fall into and or speak natively one of and or one or two of these native love languages and they are words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, physical touch. I'll explain in brief. words of affirmation and see if you don't see yourself in this and by extension further, I want you to look at your brethren. I want to look at your I want you to look at your brothers and sisters of the congregation with which you meet at home and I want you to start, trying to figure them out, trying to get in their head a little bit, trying to understand how they're drawn so that you can speak their language, so that you can reach out and you can offer expressions, that action of love, expressions that are easy for them to receive, easy for them to be able to put together. Oh, Eric really loves me because he did this. Words of affirmation, people, generally thrive on compliments. Encouraging or kind words. They need affirmation. You can do that. You'll do a fine job. You did a fine job. Notes and cards with the same message inside. Words of affirmation. Quality time. They like for others to be around. They like to talk and have shared experiences with others. They're often good listeners by nature because it's about sharing time with others and not just holding court and talking and talking and talking. Gifts. Individuals who speak gifts language enjoy receiving items from others not in a materialistic sense as if they just can't have enough of stuff as far as uh, the latest gadgets or what have you like that, but rather as a matter of reference. Receiving gifts as a matter of reference. A gift is a symbol, not unlike when we receive rings when we are married. Is it because it's so valuable dollar-wise? Or is it more the message that is received and sent whenever I'm wearing this ring? It is a symbol. And gifts are a symbol of that type of individual. And that symbol says to them, you value them and or are thinking about them. And it's a symbol that they may be able to refer to over and over and over again. Where they can see that thing sitting over on the shelf and remember that Eric loved me. He gave me that hand-drawn picture back when he was 32. It was such a wonderful expression of his love for me. Acts of service. Those types of individuals liked for things to be done for them and or with them oftentimes. Acts may be on routine things like chores, but bigger projects can be additionally encouraging to that type of individual as well. Physical touch. These are the huggers. These are the prolonged handshakers, These are the back patters. These are the overall general touchers. You walk by them, they poke your elbow. And you're like, well, what was that? Well, you know who you are. And I think that we've all experienced them. I I. I can be one of them, so just watch out. (laughs) Often they're roughhousers, especially when they're young because they are encouraged by contact with others. So those are the types of proclivities in regards to uh, exchange of love that individuals can fall into. In regards to reading one another, and in regards to reading... Um in Proverbs chapter twenty two and verse six, we have the preacher write, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from that. Well we really need to learn to read the natural bent of God's children and help them root and grow in Christ's love by offering love in action, expressing it in meaningful ways to them. And that passage in Proverbs chapter 22, it's not just a you set them on the right path and they're never going to go away from it. The, the expression there, as I understand it, in regards to the Hebrew is train up a child in the way he shall go. In that if the child is uh, doesn't like blood and guts, for example, um, my child's going to be a doctor. That's not the child's natural bent. That's not the way the child naturally is wired. So why would you do that? They don't like getting up and speaking in front of people. My child's going to be a lawyer. That's not training up the child in the way he shall go. The way that he's naturally bent or, or inclined. See, if, if we are able to discern these things, if we are able to discern those things in our brethren, and we are able to love them well, they should flourish and grow just like a naturally born child. We also need to learn to read circumstances, and the, the messages today just have really interleaved well. in any of the scriptural references that I have used and/or would reference, They're, they just butt right up against each other. I don't know how it happened. We've got sounds like there were a lot of instructions to Gerald and nothing to Dan, um, but it seems like everything has just really come together. Circumstances can change things. Uh, many of you know that Tom Woody has terminal cancer for all intents and purposes. He's been being uh, maintained by chemotherapy for the last six six years, seven years. But Tom, in a, uh, a recent trip that I was with him on, we were talking a little bit and he, was, uh, he doesn't like having to take the medicine, the pain medicine and whatnot like that. He doesn't like feeling like that he ha- has to do that. Let me tell you what happens if Tom isn't able to moderate his pain. He gets very irritable. He gets very un Tom like. Tom has to be alone by himself in a dark room, shut off from everyone else. Now, is God glorified more if we take the medicine so that we can function and upbuild others or just go off and be miserable? And be not of a help to anyone. While we were on the trip, we discussed that. As we were getting ready to go home, I noticed that he was very, very quiet. I had to read what was going on with Tom and not just keep prattling on. Oh, it was a great visit. I just got who old you talk to? Who old you see? You know, what did they have to say? He got very quiet. That's telling me he might be in one of these periods that he needs to, the me- to allow the medicine to start working again so that he can then connect with me again. And so I just shut up and I drove and in just a little while I feel a gentle touch on my arm. He knows I'm a toucher. And I know Tom's ready to go. I know that Tom is back again. These are the kinds of things on an everyday basis that we need to try and be discerning with one another. In our families at home, in our family at the building, others that we come in contact with. The more savvy we can be in reading people, the better are we, we will be in being able to communicate the love of Christ to them whether they're a believer or not. So, how do we do this? How do we encourage? Mark Twain was a, was a words of affirmation speaker. He said once, I can live two months on a good compliment. There are ways that we can show that we love one another. This last Sunday, I used the lesson period on Sunday night as preparation for this lesson today. And you can be glad that I did. (laughs) Let me tell you. My mother, because she's more my sister first than my mother, says, Eric, that was the absolute worst lesson I think I have ever heard you give. (laughs) I said, well, Mom, that's because... Last Sunday night, you were with me in my study. You were helping me to try and determine what was going to work or if it wasn't going to work. I had a 30-question questionnaire mapped out for you all to take today. And it took over half of the time. I knew, well, the quiz is out. And then it was all about the five love languages. And Mom said, well, is that supposed to be more about... For married couples, and it is primarily uh, meant to be, uh, you know, read by married couples or for, you know, the marriage uh, uh, circumstance. But it just, the whole message just got completely lost. All right? Last Sunday night, the Prince Road group showed love for you <laughs> by helping me. Been given lessons for almost 34 years now. I know you're looking at me and saying you can't be that old Eric. Thank you very much. I cannot tell you how many half-baked lessons the Chapel Glen group loved me through. Amen. All right. Thank you. I was waiting. I was going to wait a long time. We have to be... Open to help, we have to be open to correction, every last one of us. Um, I spoke at Kirksville just this last year, and I told Dan, you know, I, I have this, and this goes for the eldership here too, is that I didn't meet expectations, please tell me. And Tell me how I didn't meet the expectations. Uh, and, I, and I told Dan this going in, Dan Green going in, and uh, at, at the end, he didn't come just run right up to me, but... Um, Later on, you know, we kind of found ourselves together. He said, Sir, um, you told me that you uh, wanted me to let you know if there was anything that you could do to improve or what have you like that. So he was asking my permission again in order for me, Eric, did you mean it? And are you really truly open? And it's not easy and it didn't feel good. But I've got focus issues and it came out during the lesson. I I said that we were going to be talking about this, that, and the other thing, and we got to this and we got half of that, and we didn't even get to the other thing. (laughs) He said "If, if you know you that about you and if you know that you may have issues that way, don't over obligate yourself. Just offer what you have to offer. You know what? In your daily walk, in my daily walk, we need to just offer what we have to offer without pretension, without feeling like I may not be good enough, my effort may not be strong enough. We need to learn to encourage our brother by offering what we have to offer. I don't know... uh, Some of you might know Elsie Davis. She's been dead for some time. She uh, met with the what is now the Prince Road group for quite some time. But my uh, my mother in law and father in law, they were young marrieds, and they put up with there were there was a lot of stuff going on at the congregation back in the day uh, when it was Hartford Wood River. and they were about done. They were about to give up on the group there. They were about to, to go and try and find another church family who would better demonstrate Christ's love for each other. And when that was expressed to Elsie Davis, she was always very small, very mousy. She did not have uh, a great presence. Uh, she didn't like a crowd. Very quiet and soft-spoken. She said, Bill, don't go. You're our best hope. That thing that you might say, that one word of encouragement that you might have to offer, whoever you are, I don't care if you're small and timid and shy, I'm not talking about two months. Living two months. I'm talking about an eternity. I'm talking about encouragement of someone that will extend then. I don't even know if I would have met my wife if they had moved to some other group. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. My life would have been completely different. And I know that there are a lot of others whose lives would have been completely different if that one thing hadn't been said by who said it. Later on, Elsie Davis, uh, her her health was failing and she was bedridden. She would still call my mother-in-law when my mother-in-law was struggling with the passing of her mother. She died at home of cancer and Kathy was the primary caregiver like clockwork, once a week, Elsie Davis would call and talk to her, ask her how things were doing. What could she do? If there was anything physically she could do, I'll run right over. She was there for her. She cared about what was happening to her. And then later on, when they were both flat on their backs, where Kathy had had a back surgery old ladies laying on their backs. Don't tell Kathy I said that. (laughs) She left out the old, I think. Laying on their backs, talking to each other on the phone. How about Thelma Deckard from Indianapolis? I was uh, privileged to know her. I was privileged to ride along with her. a time or two that she made uh, visits to some of the local nursing homes, and after she died suddenly in an airport on the East Coast because she was going to see visit her brother, it was just out of the blue. She's in the terminal, she falls over dead. I think it was a heart attack. Um, but slowly, after just a little bit, the congregation started getting phone calls. All sorts of people about all sorts of things she'd been doing for them and encouraging them in her daily walk. And they were just wondering, well, where has she been? See, a lot of those people who were calling didn't know the eminent preachers of the time, wouldn't be able to quote from for any of the mighty theologians, but they knew an old lady named Thelma Deckard, and because of that, they knew a man named Jesus Christ. How about as a congregation? There are times that we have opportunity to act as a body towards an individual. The Chapel Glen congregation in our move, Mom and Dad's move to our backyard. I tell folks at uh, at work that I don't I don't have them fenced in or anything, but they live in my backyard. (laughs) You know, it was just it was that Thursday and everybody showed up. Everybody showed up. I didn't know about shingling parties before I moved to Illinois. Anybody know what a shingling party is? Okay, all right. That's, that, that is something that was relatively new to me in Illinois, and that's to save half of the expense of shingling your house, which is always a chunk. I don't care how big your house is or small. It's a chunk. You can save the labor by having a shingling party and feeding the brethren. The guys will be up on the roof, and the things you can learn up on the roof, let me tell you. <laughs> There's showers. There's weddings. There's funerals. There's births. Uh, recently, there was a uh, a female believer of a group that had married an unbeliever and she was suffering in a an abusive situation. And with the authorities coming in present, many of the men of the congregation came in support of her to retrieve the things that were uh, on the list from the house. See, there are many, many ways that we have that we can demonstrate both individually as well as corporately our love for our brother or brethren. And one more thing to to this point is I, I wanna make sure I know that sometimes I speak in generalities, we have issues with clicks. There are many congregations that don't have that issue, there are some that do. There's there are many that are concerned about there being clicks and or I don't want to be looking like that I'm getting along better with Charles than I am with Greg, so um, you know, I just won't really interact deeply with anyone. I'll just keep it real surface and that way I'll hit everybody and nobody's feelings will be hurt. <sighs> How many disciples did Jesus have? Okay, he had 12, but where did uh, where did Matthias come from? In Acts chapter 1. They determined that Disciples outside of the twelve, once Judas had done himself in, they needed to replace him with other disciples that had been in Christ's company for the entirety of the time. So, we have disciples that we really don't know exactly how many there were that followed Jesus to the death or at least to the moment of the passion. So we have, we don't know how many. But then Christ chose out twelve for himself. Did He choose any others out of that group to have a closer relationship with? There are several occasions where we have who? Peter, James, and John. And John to John's telling, at the Last Supper, John is typified as the disciple whom Jesus loved was leaning against His breast. I don't think we need to make apologies. I don't think we need to make explanations for... I don't think we have to have excuses about having closeness with certain other brethren that we have more in common with. If I'm a hand, the hands of the congregation can relate to me about what I need to be doing, oftentimes better than the eye. Right? And the eyes have it, right? Where... And we, we get this. We understand that we are drawn to certain others in the congregation. And I think that that many times is because that, that is the design of the church. is that we can help and support one another and we can help hold one another accountable in ways in smaller groups oftentimes more than half, and to go forward. That was something in my culture as I was growing up that I think really got in the way of confession. You know, James, confess your faults one to another. One to another. Not one to the Mass. Not one to the congregation. Not go forward at the next service. But rather to make it meaningful in order to spread the love amongst the brethren if we can have brethren that we can be held accountable by and we can help hold them accountable where it's not a matter of just airing the dirty laundry. Rather, it's meaningful. It's connecting brother with brother and we're able to help one another to do that thing that we've been asked to do. We've had two great lessons today. I'll... (laughs) Call my mom and let her know how it went today. <laughs> she was calling me right up, right up. To, we were getting off at the Monroe exit. Are you Are you nervous? I'm going to be praying for you, she said. <laughs> and I'm I greatly appreciate it. I have a feeling that uh, whatever whatever useful, and meaningful came through was uh, as a result in no small part to my mom's prayers. We we really do need to learn how to love, and the best way we can do that is read through the gospel, see how Jesus did it and make it meaningful where we take those things, those principles that Jesus incorporated into His life with His disciples and do that for ourselves and our brethren. We need to discern and read one another. We need to work on that. We really do. Uh, we need to make sure that we're sensitive to uh, others' proclivities where we, we prefer one another. We allow others' preferences to take, uh, take the fore in, in front of our own. And then we need to constantly learn to encourage in a variety of ways to make certain that, you know, Jesus, and there were a couple of, uh, of passages that I didn't reference. One was in, uh, uh, was in Romans chapter 15, and in another uh, in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 12, where in Romans chapter 15, we're told that Jesus, let me turn to that real quick, and th- this may lend itself well to the invitation, Romans chapter 15 and verse 2. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good, to upbuild him. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you, that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to conform to the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may also glorify God for His mercy. So Jesus didn't prefer His own will. Jesus preferred His Father's will. And Jesus preferred not the love of Himself and His own life. He preferred the eternal spiritual salvation and eternal life for each one of us. And that came at a great cost to Him. We too should die. That old man of sin, that old man of self-willedness, has got to die. Because it's going to die sooner or later. You can take it to the grave with you, but you will carry it on to the afterlife. And you don't want that with you. You want to give up your will now when you have the opportunity and exchange it for the will of God and the will of Jesus Christ to be the Savior of your soul. If you have not named Jesus Christ as the Savior of your soul and given up your sin to Him, we encourage you to do so as we stand and sing the final selection.